0: Hi, I'm Frank McCormick. Welcome back to Chalkboard Heresy. I'm here with my co-host, Paul Rossi, and our guest, Mitch Hobbs. Paul's going to introduce Mitch uh, to our show today and tell us a little bit about him.
1: Well, uh, we're very happy to have him here. Mitch Hobbs, uh, he's an artist, he's a painter, and he's also an art teacher. He's taught in charter schools in Philadelphia, Brooklyn, the Mississippi Delta, and most recently in the Bronx, where he's a teacher at Vertex Partnership Academy. Uh, Mitch and I were introduced early in 2022 by a mutual friend, and when we connected, we hit it off uh, as fellow educators. We both experienced uh, critical social justice run amok at our schools, and Mitch shared with me a story of how he stepped out of line at his former school in 2021 and became, like Frank and I, a chalkboard heretic. It's a remarkable story of retaliation by colleagues and his administration for the crime of showing public support for a celebrated black intellectual so we're really pleased to have you on the show mitch and uh, maybe we start you know tell us how you got into teaching Uh, how did you wind up at this particular school in brooklyn where everything went down
2: thanks for having me on guys uh when i was finishing up undergrad i had designated my major as studio art and i was looking around and wondering what the heck am I going to do to make a living? And a lot of pressure from my parents and trying to come up with a a decision as to what I was going to do. And so I got into teaching. It seemed like the best way to put my skills to use. And then at the time I was interested in trying to do something that was service oriented or that would help. And I considered things like the Peace Corps even, but Teach for America ended up being the organization that I applied to and was accepted into. And that's what took me to the Mississippi Delta region of that organization. And I ended up teaching in a little town called Dumas, Arkansas, under 5,000 people, real small town. And I taught elementary art for two years. I coached a little high school football. And then my third year in Arkansas, they moved me over to the junior high and high school. And after After doing that for three years, I went to grad school at LSU and got my MFA in painting and drawing. And as I was wrapping up my time there, I had spent six years in the deep South and I grew up in Kentucky and had always wanted to be a part of a a more of a major art community. And New York was definitely a target, a place I wanted to go to, but it seemed expensive and out of reach and impractical. So I considered Philadelphia and applied to Well, I actually moved to Philadelphia without a job (laughs) and I was just going to make it as a painter. But the only job I could find that would take me was teaching again. (laughs) So I ended up getting a job at a charter school uh, in Philadelphia and taught in South Philly for a year. And it was a mess of a charter school. It was a nightmare. Every day was a struggle to get through. And I was trying to figure out the next move and applied to... The charter school that I ended up at in Brooklyn.
0: When you say it was uh, like a mess of a charter school, are you talking about behaviorally, um, just h- how it was run operationally, a combination?
2: Operationally, it was a nightmare. At the beginning of the year, there wasn't a bell in the building, and it was an old public school building that had been converted to this charter school. Uh We teachers would just transition students at the designated time. And you can imagine if you've worked at a school, it turned into a big nightmare. Some people's watches were, you know, it's like people's watches were set differently almost or something, even though probably everyone was using a cell phone and uh, students not even going to class, running around the hallway, a lot of horseplay once you got into the classroom, trying to maintain order in the classroom and present the lesson and the material and engage students and get them to engage in the work that they needed to do was a huge, it was a big steep mountain to climb every single day. And there was no accountability. There was no way to hold a student accountable to do the things they needed to do. And frankly, too, there were a lot of adults that were doing things that were questionable and they weren't being held accountable.
0: Hmm. Sounds, sounds kind of like my, uh, School district I taught in was, it was an urban school district, so it wasn't rural, but um, very similar kind of issues, um, you know, basic kind of functionality that you'd expect in a school oftentimes was lacking, um, questionable behavior from almost everyone, from students to other teachers to administrators. So I definitely know what you're talking about. That's why, I, you know, when you said there's, there was no bell, I was kind of like, yeah, I, I know that, you know, we didn't have a clock you know, um, basic things like, you know, you'd have no blinds in the classroom and kids would come in and they'd be like, oh, I can't see, you know, cause the sun would be shining through and you'd have to like put like poster up. We didn't have a whiteboard. It was, uh, it was a mess. So how did you like survive that? What was your, or did you, I mean, was it just like getting through each day
2: and then coming home and taking a nap I was, and checking out? I was so thrilled to be in Philly and be near, Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts and the Pennsylvania Museum of Art and the Barnes Foundation. Uh, I met two of my heroes, uh, Peter Van Dyke and Scott Noel, who are fantastic uh, art professors and, and artists. Um, so I was thrilled to be there. And that kind of fueled me to keep going and show up every day. And I knew teaching was hard when I taught in Arkansas. It was difficult. So I told myself early on, you're going to get through this. I was hired the day before school started Mm -hmm. at that Philadelphia school. Mm -hmm. And um, I just was determined to get through the year. And I also it sounds corny or silly, but there's a lot of there's a revolving door. A lot of schools, public, private charter, especially where Teachers show up, people show up and they claim they want to be a teacher and then they don't have the follow through and they're not willing to put up with the difficult tasks that are part of the job. And I just felt like once I signed on that I was committed to a whole year at the very least, that it would be wrong for me to back out. Um, As difficult as it may be, it would be wrong.
1: So how did you uh, and then how did you get to your school in um, in Brooklyn
2: then after that?
1: Where where all this stuff happened?
2: So I was searching for different teaching jobs and still in the Philadelphia area. And I saw an opening at a charter school in Brooklyn and I just applied blindly and was invited for an interview and a demo lesson. And that went very well. And they more or less offered me a job on the spot and I accepted I was just so excited and thrilled to have a fresh opportunity and it seemed like from the demo lesson and the adults I was meeting that the school is a, a great school with a good community of individuals there, student and staff wise. And when I first got there uh, and did professional development that summer, that August before school got underway, things seemed fantastic. It seemed like there was this uh, just a degree of professionalism and organization that was non-existent at the previous school I had taught. And, and then, what year? What year was this about? This was in 2016. So it was. I got there right before Donald Trump was oh, elected. Okay. President. Okay. All right. And at the time, I would have considered myself uh, politically a liberal. Um, I mean, I thought Donald Trump was a total clown, and I was getting wrapped up, and I didn't even realize it wrapped up in the kind of the cultural. I don't know if you call it the zeitgeist, but the cultural moment of um, the beginnings of what was called wokeness. There was even a faculty member, a teacher at the school in Brooklyn. And he used to say, when he part ways with you, stay woke. And that was the mm. first time I'd ever really heard that. Um, That's like the
1: Twitter it, t-shirts that Elon Musk found in that <laughs> box, like in some storage. facility. Like, wow, like, stay woke. Yeah. Did, wow. did
0: you feel like in 2016 that it became like, a missionary calling for a lot of teachers to do something about Donald Trump or to become active in a way they hadn't before.
2: Absolutely. So there were different specific instances that were red flag moments looking back. Uh, When he was elected president, the very next day, there were teachers crying at our school and apologizing to students in the classroom. And while I didn't like him at the time uh i just thought it was bizarre and immature and weird behavior to not just accept the fact that this man was elected president he's our president it's the right thing to wish him well and hope that he does a great job because if he succeeds the country succeeds and to give him a fair chance and see how he does and from the very get-go, people were really upset about it and making it a very public thing. They had to make sure that everyone knew that they were upset about the fact that he was right. the president of the United States.
0: Can you, can you imagine if someone did that when Obama was elected, if there was like teachers crying and apologizing to students? It would be like a, know, a national God. news story. Um,
1: same, thing at, same thing at Grace where I taught. I mean, I had students who were so anxious and so freaked out by the way the teachers were behaving that they, they were expecting, you know, ice to come to the door and deport them. And they were like, right. will you protect us, Mr. Rossi? Will you, you know, I said, listen, that's not going to happen. Don't worry about it. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, if it by some bizarre chance actually does happen, you know, yeah, I probably stand up for these kids, but you know, there's no way this, this is totally hysterical. Um yeah. But how
2: irresponsible and sick and twisted, because as teachers, we're supposed to be setting an example of how to remain temperate, self-control. What does maturity look like? How do you articulate yourself in a mature, reasoned fashion and not let your emotions overwhelm you all the time? And here were these adults saying all these crazy things. And imagine if you were a student where your family came from another country, maybe you are here illegally or whatever. And that's just you know, this is method. Yeah. This is, kids.
1: it's insane. And, and it, it just creates more anxiety, but you know, but it, but there's a weird self-serving aspect to it too, that I, where yes. the teacher, you know, public theater, is, a lot it, of it. Yeah, and it, it allows the teacher to direct them politically, you know, be, capitalize on the anxiety to push the agendas and so on. Um, it, it's crazy. Did you have, did, at the school, were they was there any talk about Michael Brown? Ferguson was, was 2014, I think, 2015, the shooting there. Trayvon Martin was earlier. Was that any kind of a setup for what came later, or was it mostly Trump?
2: Amongst the adults, there was a lot of discussion about Trump and uh, at each professional development meeting at the beginning of each next consecutive school year after it got more and more aggressively woke and they started adopting DEI policy and CRT type policy in inviting guest speakers like Dr. Love. I don't know her first name, but she's a professor Bettina somewhere. Love? No. Yes.
1: Oh, really? Bettina Love. Like she's, yeah, she's an avowed Marxist. I mean, she wants to end capitalism. There's no.
2: I think she record. likes to refer to her methodology or her way of doing things is like abolitionist, an abolitionist yeah. movement yeah, or something. Yeah, abolitionist. Mm, yeah. Abolitionist teaching. Yeah. There's, a, there's
1: uh, a, yeah, there's a video where she says, what does abolition mean? It means the abolition of schools. Um abolishing school
0: after she collects her paycheck from them right, right. you know <laughs> right? yeah like uh, hold, on, hold on hold on don't don't start the revolution too early like well she does that, say that capitalism
1: ending capitalism is part of her long-term freedom dream which is like 50 years down the road after she's cashed in then we wrap up place. right that's the retirement <laughs> we got all the money for retirement so yeah she's a she's a real character um so you know take us to Take us to what happened. I mean, we can go back and forth, but take us to 2021 was February, 2021. How did you become, you know, what did you do to step out of line and, and, you know, get the business end of, of critical social justice?
2: Uh, I had had a slow awakening over the, over three to four years. Jordan Peterson was a great, Mind and someone who is kind of waking me up to what was going on. Um, but in February, to fast forward, February of 2021, so we're still teaching virtually, holding staff and faculty meetings virtually. I'm living in my apartment. It's like, it feels like kind of like a 1984 get up where you've got your computer every day and you, sh- you show up and log in or something, or like Demolition Man where it's just a face on a screen. And we had a, the school day had ended and we had a virtual team meeting. And at the beginning of the virtual team meeting, the principal stated out loud to everyone that she had observed someone, another teacher's class that day. And she was so, Phil was a sense of pride and excited and enthused about the fact that this teacher was teaching the kids about a black revolutionary. And I don't remember who specifically it was, but it was someone akin to, like, say, Angela Davis, someone more radical and on the left side, politically speaking. And she said something to the effect of it was so exciting to hear one of our teachers teaching the kids about a great black revolutionary they don't hear enough of when so often they get the same old tired story about George Washington Carver, Booker T. Washington. And I want everyone in there chat right now to change their name, not in the chat, excuse me, but their name on the screen, to change their name to their favorite black revolutionary, someone who inspires you to do this work at our school and that inspires you to be at your best for our black and brown children. And uh, I just was floored that she had the nerve to say such utter stupid and ignorant things. I mean, how dare anybody belittle the achievements of booker t washington and george washington carver who overcame tremendous adversity that i'll never be able to relate to in my life and achieved great things that i could only ever i mean i got i got a lot of work to do if i'm going to be as successful as they were and it really ticked me off and i thought to myself how dare she as well force me or anyone for that matter." To pick a black revolutionary, clearly, like if I didn't pick a black panther or someone on a more extreme militant left side of perspective, then I was wrong in that moment. And so I was thinking to myself pretty quickly, I was like, who am I going to pick that's going to be? Throw it back in her face, how ignorant and silly this all is. I'm going to pick someone who's bulletproof who's a great man or woman, a great black American. And I put Thomas Sowell down and typed in Thomas Sowell is my favorite black revolutionary. And, um, Good choice. (laughs) Yeah, I I would have gone with Bill Cosby, but that's just me being an agitator. Yeah.
1: Um, Oh boy.
2: But, uh, and I remember thinking like, yeah, you know, there you go, there you have it. And I also thought, too, it it's it's it makes sense, and it would only work this way that someone of his caliber, who's has the wisdom and fo- and foresight he has, who's able to kind of back away and take his emotions out of an equation and absorb so much knowledge and information and research, and then digest that and, and make sense of it all. Someone like Thomas Sowell who brings all this great insight to the world through his books and publications and everything, it it would only be the the nature of the world that he would be lesser known, that he wouldn't be as well-known as he deserves to be. And um, so I even thought to myself when I typed it in there, I thought, this is my way of pushing back, but also to half these, most of these people have no clue who the heck he is, probably can't even pronounce his name. Fast forward to the next day and I'm getting messages emails from the principal and assistant principal saying they want to meet with me they have a private meeting the assistant principal the principal myself and they bring to my attention first off they make me basically walk through what was what how the meeting went the previous day what their prompt was and what i did and i said yeah so i picked thomas soul as my you know favorite inspirational black figure in america And then it was pointed out to me that he's controversial um, and that the staff was offended by my choice and uh, that he didn't believe in uh, systemic racism and so that he didn't align with our diversity, equity, and inclusivity uh, foundational statements that our network, our charter network had adopted and that I needed to apologize and be a part of a restorative meeting with the fifth grade team. So all the faculty, that teachers that t- taught fifth grade. And I was going to have to meet with all these teachers uh, in the next day. Um, and so I, I prepared for that meeting. And when they asked me why I picked Thomas Sowell, When I was in that meeting with the principal and just the assistant principal, I could already kind of sense here it comes. I've seen this before, whether it was what Jordan Peterson had put up with when he fought Bill C-16 in Canada or any number of other people who had been canceled or lost their jobs. Um, I thought, here it comes. Here comes the wave. And so I thought I better prepare myself. And they're going to ask me why I picked Thomas Sowell. And so I tried to make up. I mean, it sounds make up. I just flat out listed and wrote down these are the reasons why he's a great man. These are the unquestionable reasons why he's a great man, and I'm going to state these and stick to these. And that's what I'll do. The next day, the meeting with the fifth grade team. It lasted well over an hour. I had to begin the meeting. So it was started with the um, principal stating that uh, it was a space to address the hurt that people felt and restore and repair relationships. Uh, It was to clarify intent while owning the impact that I had made upon the community um, to, and that we needed to like, uh, Anchor ourselves in the DEI, the Diversity, Equity, Inclusivity belief statement of the net, of the Charter Network, and at that point, I was told to begin. So with that, begin Hobbs. and <laughs> defend
1: yourself, Hobbs. Yeah,
0: this is. I just want to say this is like this is crazy. I mean, this is I, I, there's just no words. It's it's like worse than anything I could imagine. You know, I mean, if you were to ask me to write about like some like fictional like story about this, you know, I probably wouldn't. It's just nuts. It's, it's like, it's the type of, I mean, you wouldn't even see this in a Catholic school if you questioned the doctrine of Jesus, you know, or, right. or if you question one of the gospels like and I've, I've taught like at a, yeah it was a Jesuit school so okay but you know still <laughs> like I I would not have been subjected to that harsh of uh treatment and so it's just unbelievable but yeah I mean I wanna, just Paul yeah Rodriguez this is,
1: this is just yeah I mean I, I I can I can understand that I mean I know uh, yeah I, I what got me in Dutch was mentioning Glenn Lowry these are these are celebrated interesting black intellectuals, heterodox intellectuals. Um, and, you know, this idea that you would be, this would be like saying, like like Frank, you're saying, you know, if you said the devil, if they said, you know, put in the name of your favorite angel and you put in <laughs> Lucifer, right? They would laugh. I mean, it wouldn't be as bad. Right. Um, they wouldn't say, you know, explain yourself. <laughs> um, I find it interesting too that they use the, the vacuum technique on you. Um, let me fix my camera here but yeah the fact the vacuum technique which is you are here for a reason expose your vulnerability first and then let us pick you apart that's what cool. the vacuum is and so they just create the space the space where you just feel all the pressure to explain yourself and they don't have to justify any of their accusations specifically it's just like we're gonna what we're gonna watch you twist in the wind and we're gonna just poke you. So anyway, please go on. Yes.
2: And at, at that point, I sensed that that was what what was happening to me. That they're waiting for me to expose or say something ever so slightly the wrong way that they can then use and I imagined that they were going to fire me or they were going to put me on an improvement plan that would make me so miserable and hate hate my day-to-day so very much that I would just want to quit and leave. But I told them, I said, at the start, I said, I don't really know why I'm starting because all I know is that people are upset with me and their feelings got hurt more or less. And I don't really even understand specifically why or what for or what about. But for what it's worth, at the event we were chosen to pick our favorite Black inspirational figure, I put down Thomas Sowell. I picked Thomas Sowell because of his great achievements, especially at a time in his life, so much of what he had done was before there was even a Civil Rights Act, when we were still living under separate but equal in this in this country, and that he had served the military as a Marine during the Korean War, that he had degrees from Howard and Harvard and University of Chicago, that he had studied under these great intellectuals, and that he was teaching as an economics professor long before there was probably hardly any other, maybe, I don't know if there were any other black economics professors, but there were very few likely that he had published countless books i talked about how he, uh, as teachers we should be concerned with students and young people and the well-being of young people and that thomas Sowell had a, a late talking child and i explained what late talking child is what that even means and that often before his book there was frequently misdiagnoses that maybe the this the young person had mental retardation of some kind or maybe they were autistic of some kind and these misdiagnoses he was trying to write a book and come to terms with his own son and that experience and try to help people who might experience the same situation that his family had been in. And I thought that was admirable. I talked about how he was a proponent of charter schools and that we being a charter school provide an opportunity to to families in our community that maybe aren't unsatisfied with public schools, but they can't afford the private school option and so we fill that void and provide something hopefully a little bit better and that he's supportive of that and of our mission and what we do in that regard and i listed all these things off and then came the attacks so first one of the the very first teacher who was called on to speak the first thing he said was i wasn't present at that meeting the other day but when i heard about it i immediately googled who thomas sal was and I was blown away. I thought it was a completely inappropriate uh, selection. So right away then, I'm thinking, this is absurd. Why are we even having this meeting? I have someone who can't pronounce the man's name, even though I've said it a bunch of times in this meeting already. And he wasn't even there. He wasn't even there at the meeting that we're talking about. The next person who chimes in, um, you know, do you align with Thomas Sowell? And again, they kept mispronouncing his name throughout the whole thing. Um, One person at one point, because they kept repeating and, and demanding that I repeat why I chose him. And I stuck to my points, never really delving into some of his bigger arguments because I wanted to be I wanted it to be about this great man who's achieved so much because I knew as soon as I opened up the Pandora's box of saying Yeah, he thinks everything you all believe in is foolish nonsense and he can explain why and back it up with with data. And that's why I really admire him, because you all are crazy and that all this is a waste of time. when we could be talking about or meeting about how we're going to teach our kids better or help them learn better in math class or reading class. Um, But instead, we have to have this stupid meeting about how your feelings were hurt because I picked the wrong black man. But I couldn't go in any. Dire- I couldn't even move in that direction the slightest bit and encroach that because I was scared to death I was going to get fired.
1: So Mitch, uh, just just to interrupt for a second. How many how many people are on this call? Is it is a video call? Is it a is it a recording? Is I mean is it a, a like a phone thing? It's and Zoom. How, Zoom. Okay. And how many people are you know on this? How many people are there?
2: I, I want to say anywhere between eight and twelve people.
1: Okay. And these are the fifth grade teachers. Yes. Who, okay, who were offended. Was it like all the fifth grade teachers?
2: The entire fifth grade teacher team. So it would have been like, I think, roughly five or six people there. And then you also had the assistant principal, the principal, um, another one of the school leadership uh, team was there. Uh, So yeah, it was somewhere in the, it was approaching eight or more people.
1: Okay. Between eight and 12. And there was a DEI person there. Like, did they have a DEI department? Yes, we did. We yes. did have
2: that. Was the first time the first year? I think we had a head of DEI, and she was present as well.
1: Okay. Wow.
2: Um, and and they actually, turns? they're
1: just all like pig piling on you. I mean, like they're all. Everyone's taking turns, or is everyone just? I got something to say.
2: Yes, that one after the other were called okay. upon by the principal to speak up, and one after the other were going. And once it got started no one needed to be called on. Eventually people were just chiming in at one point when I was repeating myself for probably the third or so time explaining why I chose Thomas soul. Uh, the DEI leads came in and said, I'm going to call BS. And she basically said that he had that Thomas Sowell has negative beliefs. Um, that Mitch has beliefs that need to be changed. What? Uh, <laughs> What? This is total
1: struggle. I mean, people say Maoism, right? But this is Mao. Like, this is straight up Maoism. Okay, go on. I'm sorry. I was... Do you think, uh, frank, this is crazy.
2: I know. Thomas, they were explaining that Thomas Sowell believes black people are poor because they don't work hard enough. He do, Because he doesn't believe in systemic racism. Um, and then the individual who basically, I found out later on, more than likely prompted all of this because she was the one who knew who Thomas soul was and then went on behind everyone's behind my back and everything. She didn't come to me and say, Hey, I'm blown away. I hate Thomas soul. How on earth could you pick that guy? She didn't have a conversation with me. She had gone to all her friends in that fifth grade team and told them, you won't believe what Mitch did and look up that Google Thomas soul and look at who he picked and it spurred all this on, she chimed in and began going pretty intense from the get-go. I kept going back again to Thomas Sowell's personal story of achievement. And at one point she chimes in and says, this means nothing. Black people achieve every day. To which I wanted to respond, well, if that's the case, then why are we having this stupid meeting where you all won't accept the fact that maybe Thomas Sowell, and I guess me, think that this systemic racism narrative is nonsense, but I didn't. Again, I wanted to keep my job. I was scared to death. Mm. Uh, She, I'm trying to find out another particular thing. It it hit a point at the 30 minute mark into the meeting and I was getting hammered uh, that they said to me specifically, do you align with Thomas Sowell? Do you believe systemic racism is an excuse for people to not achieve or do well in life. Um, They said that this person shouldn't have been picked. I was told, you're a man from Kentucky. You're white. You have white privilege. At one point, my mentioning of my admiration for Thomas Sowell was compared to the congresswoman who had said that Hitler got one thing right the indoctrination of the youth that somehow my support of Thomas Sowell was like if I had said I supported Hitler. Uh, it was expressed to me that you would need to be in a subhuman part of Reddit to even know who Thomas Sowell was. <sighs>
1: <laughs> uh huh. No, and then you know, on top of it, the brilliant so principal
2: you. who's so articulate and says like every other word she decides at some point in this meeting around 30 minutes in that it's okay to say other people have made mistakes Hobbs and they said yo my bad I fucked up and I'm sitting there thinking great so now it's okay for the principal to drop the f-bomb in this great restorative circle that's a really good way you know I love it when we all use profanity in this restorative circle meeting, we feel so much more welcome and, and appreciate each other. And I feel heard now. This is good because now she's opened the door. The leader of the school has opened the door for it to get uglier, which it did. Later in the meeting, I was told that by different faculty that because I had picked Thomas Soul, they were more or less scarred because they couldn't believe that I come, came to school every day and was physically, literally around our black and brown children. But admired someone like Thomas Sowell and that they didn't trust me or trust my motives. Uh, at one point, going along that line and train of thought, I was told, you're lying. They were saying, you're, we don't believe what you're saying. We think you know why you picked Thomas Sowell. We think you don't believe in systemic racism. And we think you're not aligned with the DEI belief system of the network you and specifically it was stated you're smearing shit on our faces and telling us it's lotion.
1: Who said, Um, wait, was this a teacher said this?
2: a teacher said this to me? Okay. Uh, And it went on and on and on. You have to change. Uh, Later on, it was said that uh, you can't show up to school each day Admiring someone like Thomas Sowell and having these ideas in your head because our kids can smell it on you. Whatever that means. Wow. Um, and.
0: You it, might it, as it, well have just picked like Robert E. Lee because that is basically right. the equivalent. I mean, like. It's It's so.
2: Over the, it's almost like hard to believe, you know. <laughs> it's like it's-, it's not like I picked Robert E. Lee. Robert E. I- Lee, after the Civil War, he worked to fix what became a uh, Washington and Lee University. He mm-hmm. fixed a failing school and felt a responsibility after his failure mm-hmm. to uh, educate the young men of the South. Robert E. Lee is definitely I'm not I'm not supportive. I'm not supporting this, you know, the South or the Confederacy, but it's as if I picked Hitler. I mean, mm. it was so absurd. It it, mm. it, it it got completely out of hand. And none of these people could pronounce the man's name right, hardly. And it became an invitation to pile on and claim I was racist. Uh, it. it I kept having to emphatically tell them and remind them, I've been here for five years. I would show up on the weekends and do work at the school. No one like paid me a bonus or gave me any extra you know, gold stars for that. I did it because it was my job and I cared. I showed up for kids every day. I made our, our, our school, with the help of the students and their beautiful artwork, I beautified the building in ways that it'll never be since I've left that place. Um, and- was this the
1: first time that you ever, like, had any type of anyone give you any guff around your race, or, 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 or did, were you sort of liked as a colleague, or was there anything before this, or was this all just sort of, like, erupt?
2: I don't want to like toot my own horn or sound like I'm, you know, I want to stay humble about it, but I got along with everybody. Um, I got along really well with everyone in that school and uh, it made it all the more, I just felt totally stabbed in the back, drawn and quartered and left out to dry about the entire situation. And what hurt the most, and I explained this, the, what was the most disappointing and upsetting was that people would walk around now not trusting me around kids because I wrote that I admired Thomas soul. That was a reason to think that I'm so evil and vile that they couldn't quite trust how I was around students. And, uh, it, it upset me really bad then it upsets me really bad now. Um, I recorded this because I thought I was going to lose my job and I wanted to have some kind of evidence that it had actually happened and that these things were said
0: hmm. and
2: I watched the recording of the meeting in preparation for this podcast and to this day it just it's hard to put an express without getting very emotional and upset about it how enraged I feel um, that I was a coward because at the end of the day I I felt muzzled and that I couldn't even express the ideas of Thomas Sowell and why I really liked him and admired him and how he had kind of changed my point of view and perspective on maybe what could be done to help our students really Rather than all the woke, crazy social justice nonsense that's a distraction from real education. I couldn't express any of that to these people, because if I did in the slightest, there was a strong likelihood that, again, I would either be fired on the spot or that. Even if the principal didn't want to fire me in the moment because maybe she felt she couldn't hire someone to replace me, that the uh, uproar from those members of that meeting, the faculty, the teachers, that it would be so strong. She'd just have to say, I have to let them go, that I'd be put on an improvement plan that was intolerable because that meeting certainly was um they this,
1: played a video. <laughs> sorry. Ahead. Oh, I just want to get a sense. So this is a school in Brooklyn. What neighborhood in Brooklyn is, it's a predominantly black school. Students are black, uh, Latino, minorities. And then the teachers, are they mostly minorities too? Is it, uh, how does, how does the demographics of the school factor into it's, this? The majority
2: okay. of uh, very Afro-Caribbean c- culturally, there's a lot of immigrants from Trinidad and, Haiti and Jamaica and that part of the world. Mm. Most of my students had uh, family there and were from there or their, their parents were from there. Uh, but that was another thing about the school that bothered me that had been evolving ever since this particular principal who was leading this meeting had taken over. She had a, a doctoral degree in black feminism. That was what her thesis was on anyway, or doctoral thesis. And, um, she harped on the ideology of black excellence and would put posters up all about black excellence. And that always bothered me. And the reason why it bothered me isn't because I have a problem with black excellence. It was because it wasn't genuinely inclusive. We had students that had, that were Arabic from diff- mm. uh, that weren't black. We had some students who were Hispanic that weren't black. We mm. had one girl who was white and they should feel like they're a part of the community too. And academic excellence is something that we can all aim towards and be about. But why does it have to specifically be Black excellence? I mean, if it, and, and I, when I, I did bring this up uh, before, long before the Thomas Sowell thing, I, I would bring this up to colleagues. Don't you think academic excellence? Makes more sense. Black excellence isn't really inclusive to, and I would list off the students that weren't black. I got all sorts of bizarre responses. Oh, so and so, he identifies as black anyway. Mm. Okay. Okay. What I don't know what that means. Mm. Or, um, well, but Mitch, come on. The vast majority of our students are black. And I just can't imagine. Can you? N- none of us could imagine. What if we were at a school that was vast majority white, like a lot of schools, and we said, "Oh, white excellence." Well, that's clearly wrong. We know it's wrong. It's absurd.
1: Well, I've, I've, it, it's something I always never quite understood, and maybe I have some work to do. Uh, but you know, what is what is how is black excellence different than excellence? Actually, like, what are the qualities that make black excellence black? Like if there's, a black there's, person there's does excellence, power
0: in the melanin,
1: right, there's some kind of you know ethno racial quality which is never really which is always sort of celebrated but but if you really it's a stereo there's some kind of ugly stereotype involved here where people are being condi- you know conditioned to sort of reify these racial markers or whatever ra- cultural markers around race. Um, and I, you know, I don't think I I agree with you. I think that that's actually more harmful. Um, There's
0: this weird, like in in the kind of school Mitch taught, which reminds me of Waukegan in some ways, a lot of, um, I would say this kind of black ethnic nationalism gets a pass Mm -hmm. and people in the school or community members or teachers or board can can just get away with stuff that that like really when you think about it is, is strange or where you know like a like shirts like melanin power you know and you're just kind of like what what is that and and there's there's almost it especially in these communities there's this almost like pseudo mysticism surrounding like it's kind of i think it's kind of a response to uh feelings of like inferiority but it's like an overcompensation this kind of like melanin has power and it's mm-hmm. it actually like you know I've magic stuff, black
1: girl magic right you know, I've seen
0: stuff like on like yeah. Facebook from you know whether it's former students or even like staff members like talking about like you know like actually like the the power of melanin like black people have more melanin in their brains and it like gives you like higher IQs. I mean, it gets weird. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Gets weird. I and like, I've seen people with shirts walking around my neighbor. Like there's a guy with, where it walks around the neighborhood. With a shirt shirt says "Blackity black, black, blackness, like "Blackity black, black. That's who I am. Or black AF. So it's, <sighs> it's like, what is so that implies that blackness is on a continuum and that you could be more black or less black. Right. So even and it does. It's almost cultural. It doesn't have much to do with your skin, actual skin color, right? You don't, it's not literal. So blackness is this kind of quality that which is expressive in a in a and it's. I think it is political. It's it's expressly a political blackness that we're talking about here. It's not even necessarily cultural. It's an attitude. It's a it's an oppositional framework towards society in general, and that 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 is being pushed. I mean, I think it's maladaptive. I, I don't well, I think it's gone beyond pride and now it's maladaptive.
2: Yeah, it was but so anyways. much quality of character. And then another another interesting thing related to what you all are both uh ta- discussing and talking about is if you think back to the early 90s for example or you think of like Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing and uh Sister Soldier And moments like that culturally in our in our country's history where people would walk around and wear uh, the continent of Africa on a necklace or things of that nature. That cool, whatever, that's fine. I mean, I'm I'm an artist. I'm all about it. If that if that's how you want to express yourself, go for it. But what stands out to me is interesting is and what's different than from now than then is that now we are in a Victorian age, or a repressive age where it's okay for that to happen, and if anything, that is uh, uplifted is a great thing. But if anyone, even jokingly in a humorous way, says something of another nature or kind it can't be met with any sense of humor or laughed off or understood as like, oh, they're just joking around or they're making a humorous point at the absurdity of this or that or the other by coming at it from the other angle. It's, you're racist, you're wrong, and you don't deserve to be a part of any conversation or part of our culture or society whatsoever anymore. We would like to do away with you. Take a walk into the ocean. Um, And that wasn't the case in the 90s. In the 90s, you know, you could think of like, Axel Rose performing Civil War with Guns N' Roses. And part of that performance, he'd have a Confederate flag T-shirt or boxers on. And then another moment, he'd have a a Union American flag shirt on and things like that. Or there was a a, there's an infamous picture that I I bet now they probably wish it would disappear, but it's Kerry King from Slayer. And he has a Confederate flag on his shirt and it says, you wear your ex, i I'll wear mine. Or you think about just things oh, like the General Lee yeah, and the Confederate flag on the top of the General Lee car or Leonard's right, hazard or uh, Dimebag Dimebag Daryl from the band Pantera who had a, an electric guitar with the Confederate flag on it. And there used to be an understanding that that was kind of benign and si- silly Southern pride kind of culture. And I mean, it was redneck, redneck junk. And it was just kind of laughed off as like, yeah, rednecks, rock that. And, uh, you know, there are more militant, um, black nationalist types or people who are really proud of their African heritage who rock the continent of Africa on a necklace and, you know, wear, wear mm-hmm. clothes that are of that kind. Well, that today, kind of- right.
1: And today, if you wear this, what is it? The stars and bars or whatever it's, it's like, you are wearing a swastika. Like it is, yes. it is totally, it is no longer a non- you know, it is it is a totally offensive identity marker. Yes. Uh, and I don't know to what extent you're you, in Kentucky. Is it the same way Has it as it is this just in the north or is this also treated this way now and in, in the south? Um,
2: well, in Louisville, where I grew up from Louisville's a, a very Midwestern city in a southern state is how I like to put it. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was growing up in the 90s, and the early 2000s you didn't really think much of it and you didn't really see a whole lot of that. Uh, if you had gone to other parts of the state or further South, uh, you would have definitely have seen, you know, a Confederate flag bumper sticker or a a Leonard Skinner t-shirt or things like that. And, um, and when, and when I would encounter that, there was never an assumption or a, a leap in my mind that, Oh, that person's a racist. That actually kind of right. got built in over time as culturally more and more uh, the idea was pushed that that's unacceptable, that it promotes uh, the, the notion that slavery was OK
1: mm-hmm. or that
2: the Confederacy was in the right to have seceded from the Union and fight a war to try to keep slavery going. Um, and- well, I mean,
1: if you wear your your people think of you as pro-slavery, but, you know, you're talking about these time. In the 90s, 80s, and 90s, people would wear it. It was not seen that way. And did those people back then, were they pro-slavery? They were not pro-slavery, right? They were not. A lot of them maybe supported this, you know, I think would say most of them supported the Civil Rights Act and were, you know, anti-racist. And I, I think, I mean, I don't know. What do you think in like the way most people are? I don't know. Maybe that's naive.
2: I met a lot of when I lived in Arkansas, I met a lot of interesting Southern people who might even probably say, yeah, I, I'm a redneck or I'm like very country mm. or very Southern. And um, and I, I did bump into one, one that was a bona fide, nasty spirited racist mm. that threw around the N word. And it, it came out of nowhere, out of left field one particular time. And it was kind of one of those moments where you just said well, I, I'm just never going to hang out with that guy again. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, I, I like that. And, yeah. I met a couple people like that. Yeah. I met a couple of people like that in New Orleans. I lived there for four months. Um, you know, amazing, amazing place, but like, I, yeah, you run it. Everyone's, you know, not, not many, but some, and this was 95. Um, nah, It's it's interesting. I mean, we got a little bit off track, but I, I think it's really interesting discussion. Take us back to the video. You, you said someone oh, yeah. was going to show a video in the middle of the session when this is going on.
2: So, I had mentioned when I was explaining to the teachers why I chose Thomas soul that I had read The Vision of the Anointed, which I recommend to anyone watching this podcast. Mm-hmm. Great if you've book. never read that book, I, I can't encourage you to read it enough. It's a fantastic book and it's very eye opening. But, um, they started trying to pull quotes from that book and use them against me. And then someone had found a video that was with an, an interview that Thomas Sowell had done at the time of the publication of the book. And specifically the video clip that they shared and showed everyone in the meeting was where Thomas Sowell acknowledges that uh, uh, dis- a, dis- a, disparity, a disparity in prenatal care for African-Americans and how that it's an example of how the anointed, the elite, and people who align with the vision of the anointed will jump, they'll leap at the conclusion that that automatically is a declaration that racism exists in the system and it must be accounted for and eliminated and the government needs to step in and solve that problem. Where in fact, Thomas Sowell points out in the interview that there are other people uh, Other races, other groups within the population that have worse prenatal care and have a a higher, a lesser degree of infant mortality so that it's it's proof that it's not simply is direct Mm -hmm. and simple and cut and dry as just the system's racist. That's why this disparity exists and the government needs to solve the problem. It's more complex than that. And so they share this video and. This was apparently I mean, everyone's eyes were wide as saucers and they're so upset and flabbergasted. And I'm sitting there the whole time thinking to myself, well, he just proved how crazy all of you all are that in this moment. I said I like Thomas Sowell. And because of his views, without really even understanding his views in full, you're going to leap to a conclusion that I must be a, a brutal racist. And 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 despicable and need to be done away with. Um, Thomas, the the video clip they they played made my point for me. But uh, so eventually, Tom,
1: okay, sorry, go on, go on.
2: Eventually, the the meeting it just kept going on and on. It was just like a it was like being tied to a whipping post and just getting taken to over and over again over the same thing. Wait
0: wait wait! Whipping?
2: Okay, yeah. We got right. a, um, <clears throat>
0: Paul, Hobbs. we've Hobbs. got a we've got a Not DEI a department coming in. Yeah, Yeah, chalkboard uh, heresy DEI. What what know. are your feelings on landed slave owning aristocracies? We've never talked. about them. Yeah, <laughs> we need to get to the bottom of. Do that. you
2: support them? Do you support? I was thinking more propaganda? like the Almond Brothers song, guys. The Almond <laughs> <laughs> Brothers song. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. you can't but it help it. You got to laugh. I mean, it's just so. It's just so ridiculous. It's, I, it's
1: it. It, yeah i mean it's it's he's well thomas soul is on trial this is a a vigilante mob against thomas soul and and by association you so the refer whatever they decide about thomas soul that's on like that because you have identified with him literally on zoom like the <laughs> the 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 association the identity association is complete and you you know you are Again, yeah, you're on. You're in the stocks and you're getting salad thrown. They're doing it to Thomas Hull, but they're really doing it to you. Okay, so what happens?
2: Eventually, it kind of winds down to something along the lines of that I need to make a declaration that I'm willing to work to improve. And uh, a lot of do the work keeps getting repeated over and over again. If you've worked at a school that mm-hmm aligns with these kinds of ideologies and views. You hear that often. We got to do the work, which is somehow a reference mm-hmm. to, uh, I guess, read Ibram X. Kendi books or something like that and try to you know prove and, and genuflect at the altar of wokeness, more or less. And um, they told me at one point, what do you think you need to do to make amends for this? And I said, well, I went, I would like to hear what you all recommend since you're all so upset with me. And then that brought up the point of black people don't want to help you, Mitch. You're going to have to figure this out on your own self and find some white people maybe who you can talk to about this. Because black people are tired of having to try to explain themselves to you white people who don't understand. Uh, Mm. It went on and on like this. And eventually just what it came down to was me stating that I was. Uh, committed to do the work and improve. And another thing that had to outright come out was uh, they kept pushing that. And then there was, there was a question along the lines of, do you think systemic racism is an excuse
1: Hmm.
2: to which at the time I said, no, it's not an excuse. Like, I get it. Systemic racism exists. It was kind of like I, at that point, I had to just kind of concede and, and move away from this. And and I I was mm-hmm. scared to death I was going to lose my job. And that's why I say that when I look back and watch the video again, that I feel like a coward for having not been able to stand up for myself or state state really what needed to be stated. Um and... But, but but in your
0: defense, you know, one one thing I, I think a lot of people don't realize is, especially in public education, is, you know, you get fired once for one of these types of things. That's like mm-hmm. career ending. Like there's no right. coming back from it because mm-hmm. other schools look, I mean, look, it, it can be hard to get fired from like a public school job. I don't know if anyone's heard that rumor. It's kind of true. So I think a lot of schools will look, they're like, wait a second, you, you got fired from a public school. What, what, what did you do? I mean, like, you know, oh. it must've been really bad. And so it's, it's really, I, I know that fear because you're thinking like, that's it for my career. And then what am I going to do?
2: Yeah. Um, it, as, as it wrapped up, there was talk about things like, um, oh, how I, me having put down Thomas Sowell someone said that this is what pe- other people said not me i don't i'm not saying i ever think like this but they would say you need to understand hobbs that not all skin folk are kin folk
1: ah uh, by- yes yeah not all skin folk are kin folk
2: and by picking thomas Sowell, you might as well have written down candace owens or kanye west um and, uh, and this was back before Kanye West even had his wild anti-Semitic rant. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, well, yeah, he, he, was down with MAGA. I mean, this was after, yeah. Well, this is
2: when he was just a, a MAGA wearing nutty guy mm-hmm. before he went all super crazy on us and said that, <laughs> said that Nazis are good and Hitler was okay. But anyway, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. This, well, yeah, go on. Sorry.
2: Kanye could turn into a whole nother crazy conversation, but, um, So then the meeting kind of rounds up. I've made my apologies many times over. Uh, It's adjourned. The principal asked me to stick around. And when she asked me to stick around, she asked me, the first thing she says is, So how did that feel? And I told her, Terrible. I feel like people that I got along great with suddenly don't trust me, and they don't trust me around kids, and they don't think I show up to teach these children. Um. Why, and then it, it turned into a question of, well, what do you think they wanted you to do or say? And I, I explained, well, they, they clearly made it known to me that Thomas Sowell's ideas and views are not aligned with our diversity, equity, inclusivity, foundational beliefs of our charter network, that um, I cannot... Admire this man or read about him or learn about him or appreciate him or talk about him because his beliefs aren't aligned and that I need to work on making sure that um, I remain aligned with the DEI statement and beliefs of the network. And then she said emphatically, well, why didn't you say that? And I told her, I said, well, I couldn't bring myself to, to, to coherently say that because I was being just attacked left and right constantly throughout the meeting. And I was scared and emotionally upset and trying to just stay calm and also pay respect to these people who apparently were upset with me and hear them out because well, based, they based on have my attention. Well,
1: based on what, what you described, they never asked you that question. They, I mean, she says, why didn't you say that? Well, like she asked a question that no one else asked. If they had said, yeah. what do you think we want to hear from you, Mitch? right but they didn't ask that they asked a bunch of other stuff
2: the Uh, other thing too was when she posed the question to me it was something along the lines of what do you think they wanted you to say well i don't mind answering that right right because i i don't have a problem answering the question of what do you think they wanted you to say if Mm -hmm. someone had said what do you want to say to us i would have had to like I would have had to lie really, really hard against what I wanted to say to them. And I just I was willing to say certain things to keep my job, but I wasn't willing to say other things that went too dramatically in my head against what I really felt was true, which was that the DEI belief system and statement of our network was a joke, that it was tribalizing the faculty and students that uh, that affinity groups and all of that was a nonsensical failure and an excuse to get adults in a room and cry about their petty personal problems rather than meet up and focus on what are we going to do to teach these kids how to read, how to do mathematics, how to read a map. Um, So anyway, and then,
1: do we have the we we can we can uh, put in the DEI statement of the school? I think it'd be good to sort of look at that. Um, okay, you know, maybe we can cut that in. And you know, uh, it's it's fascinating because it's almost like she let you off the hook. It seems to me like in a weird way. I mean, she said, "What do you think they wanted to hear from you?" You proceeded to tell her what you understood their desire to be, and then she says, "Why didn't you say that?" Right? Did she? Did she? Did she misinterpret the answer to her own question as being what you thought? No. I think she
2: I think she did. Interesting. I think she's, yeah. she was so she was so eager oh. to hear certain things said and to be a part of that meeting and have it work in certain aspects. And she was so also kind of green in her understanding mm. of how to run that meeting that uh yeah, I, I think she unknowingly kind of let me off the hook in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Then right after that, where she did, you know, do that. She told me as a white man, you got to eat that. And then she said, there's a lot of staff that feel like you're racist, that your ideology supports white supremacy. It's not just fifth grade alluding to other people in the school. But the fifth grade, she said, were the ones who were brave enough to come forward and say something to her about oh, me. T- takes How a lot crazy. of bravery to get yeah. uh, together with a the lynch mob. They were mob. brave
1: enough to join the mob. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then she, the last thing I was told in that meeting before I was dismissed was sit in the uncomfortableness, which I don't even know is uncomfortableness a word, guys. I honestly don't know. <laughs> it just goes to show... They whether they couldn't pronounce Thomas Soul's name, they did a cursory Google search and used some memes to come up to a con- come to a conclusion. We're talking about people who are ideolo- ideologically possessed by their ideas. They are totally obsessed, and and you're talking about people who really aren't that bright or well read. I guess. No, I mean, they're, they're I not, hate to say they're... it, but it's got to be the facts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I... I, I
2: it's maybe these kind of it's stories not that you're dealing with people that are all across the board because some of those people in that meeting i went on to have better friendships with later it's not all that are mm-hmm. just all not bright that sounds pretty condescending and, and wrong of me to say but it is true that they're they were obsessed with these ideas regarding dei crt and they are obsessed with that Cultural ideology, and it also too, it is where we are as a country. So anyone who thinks that this is some unique situation that happened to me, and it doesn't somehow manifest itself in a classroom that your child belongs to, those individuals need to wake up and smell the coffee because this is where we are.
0: Mm. I know people still like think that I'm crazy when I talk about it being a cult, or I use heavy you know handed language right um or even you know people think i'm just overly cynical when i kind of speak about teachers in this dismal fashion right but i know exactly what you're talking about when you're like they couldn't pronounce the name and they couldn't you know like i it's something that only someone that's been in the system you know for a number of years and worked with a lot of these people know that like look public education it attracts you know, a small percentage of, like, I would say, like, you know, saints on the uh, the bell curve kind of deviation. But there's a high degree of, of variance in that curve where you have, like, on one hand, like, people that are, like, really smart, really in it for the right reasons, and you have a lot of people that are, you know, yeah, they're, like, they're reasonably intelligent, I guess, for, for teachers, and then you have people, like, that gravitate towards, um, that job for, because they couldn't do anything else. And I I think there's probably a relationship I would imagine between people, um, you know, their, their intelligence and the degree to which they grasp onto an ideology that really neatly explains and compartmentalizes the world for them. I mean, you know, we talk about like, you know, I think there've been studies done, like people that have like you know, really uh, hardcore, actual racist ideologies, you know, tend not to be as educated. They tend to be lower on the IQ uh, scale because these ideologies often are just really simplistic and, and not well thought out. Um, and I think the same can probably be said of like, you know, an ideology like wokeness, which ironically shares a lot of similarities in some ways with, you know, if you were to take like kind of like a like white nationalism, and you're to take wokeness, like yeah, they're on like opposite ends of the spectrum. But in terms of like the the generalizations they make and like yes. their their kind of reasoning they use, you can be like, you can, yes. it's just changing out the parts. It's like the same kind yeah. of system. It's just moving around like the blocks and how they're arranged and which blocks you're using. Yeah, exactly. there's the I, I
1: look at it more not so much as intelligence, but more like ambiguity tolerance. So they're You know, if you're if you're okay with things with not easy solutions to things, just complex things, you might not be you might not be necessarily intelligent, but you might just be okay with with not knowing something. But there's, I think that is a
0: sign of intelligence, though. Like I think that's that's you know, um, when you look at you know, intelligence is also the ability um, to to know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And to know that you don't know everything. And I think mm-hmm. there's like, you know, there have been some kind of studies that show like that one hallmark of intelligence um, is, you know, people tend to actually underestimate their own uh, mm-hmm. intelligence. Yeah. Um, and whereas people I, that true. are lower intelligence tend to like overestimate Right. It.
1: Right. That's um, right. There is, I know that research. Yeah. I and so like, you know, program. like,
0: you know, sometimes you see not, not every, I'm not saying like, look that like all people that are woke are stupid, but you know, <laughs> they, t- they, t- maybe like 95%, but you tend to see like this, um, this extreme confidence and, and reassurance of their worldview and, And even the idea of like being woke, it's like I possess secret knowledge. I am so smart. I am enlightened. And I just think anyone that thinks that way is probably not half as smart as they think they are. Well, Um,
2: you are describing the extreme, the more extreme end of this kind of spectrum, uh, the spectrum of woke. But what's what's really disturbing or upsetting to me is that the middle – Mainstream culture either are fear tactic scared into not saying or doing things or saying certain things to keep their job to keep their life normal, um, or you have people who go along with it in a laissez-faire fashion because all of these ideas play to your emotions into your, to, to individuals, empathetic natures. I mean, calling someone a racist or a bigot or that they're prejudiced, it is one of the most, it's one of the worst things you can say to somebody. And especially now it might be the worst thing you can say to somebody. And so there's a lot of people that aren't even fully aligned is at the more extreme end that, which you all are, are accurately describing there, the people who think they have secret knowledge and the, the, intellectual elites that really pushed the ideology of the uh, vision of the anointed. Um, But the middle of the road people and how that's growing, how it's grown to where it feels like if you have moderate views or if you have a traditional outlook on life, uh, you have a nuclear family, kids, husband, wife. I mean, it used to be understood that that was the most common Format that life took and now that's been challenged so heavily that in commercials and television shows, magazines, movies all across the Internet, it's it's got to be fought against and mocked or made fun of even or told or we have to be told that it's wrong Mm. because uh, I don't know, because they're obsessed with having control, I guess.
1: I think it's a real I think uh, you're you're hitting it. I mean, it's a moral problem, right? So you have this moral intuition, which is totally replaced traditional moral intuitions. And that moral authority, diversity, e- equity, and inclusion are at, the, are at the apex of the moral hierarchy now. So, you know, whatever other morality you bring to bear on a situation, um, you can cause harm if you aren't those three things, right? And so anyone who wields those things is a priest, they are the high priests of this cult, and they have the moral authority in any dialogue situation where you you run afoul of those values. Um, and and it's a
0: fraudulent morality, too. Yeah, it's, I mean, diversity it's, it's is not. Ever, yeah, it's not based on any kind. I mean, you know, it's based on the 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 virtuousness of it's just own existence. Like this is DEI right. is virtuous just by because. nature right. and any morality, um, whether it is, you know, inherently more ethical or it's more moral or it produces better outcomes. If it challenges that mm-hmm. it's, it's just wrong that, that on its own, it's, it's totally, it's, it's sacred. Um, yeah one of the
1: one of the the thought experiments i try to do with some of my colleagues who were you know i would engage with i would say like well can you have too much inclusion what does too much inclusion look like
0: right
1: too much diversity what does that look like is that possible you know and they would be like i you know i guess although i don't like the i don't like where you're going with this right well you don't like where i'm going with this okay but can you you know as a hypothetical, think about a situation where where what you think of as a positive becomes a negative. Mm-hmm. Is there any circumstance where that's true? And you know, if you really it's not hard to actually see, you know, if, if I have a chess club and I start including people who don't know the rules or think that the bishop, you know, moves like a rook, well, then we're not gonna have a chess club anymore, do we? Right? So, so can, you have, can you have can you have someone that's too diverse? <laughs> It's going to be that way
2: eventually in a hospital yeah. room when someone's having a surgery performed upon them. Yeah, right. Like It's a, it's a big fun game until uh, roads until and matters. bridges yeah. stop working. right? Or until, uh, you know, God, what was it? The, uh, the, just yesterday where it was um, the computer system that all these different uh, airports and, and planes use uh, went down. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you have someone like Pete Buttigieg, who is an absolute goofball and is totally in over his head running tra- as the secretary of transportation. I mean, what has he done mm-hmm. to qualify himself for that position? Well, to be fair, uh, it's
0: called transportation. So <laughs> it was a bad job. So, terrible. <laughs> let's edit that
2: out. No, I kind
0: of okay, like leave
1: it. In, let's leave it in. Queer transportation.
0: You know, I don't want to speak for like, I actually, you know, I feel that
1: queering there's, transport there's so much- <laughs> sorry <that's, laughs> that was a late addition to the party
0: yeah it's okay i'm like, like time we have so much like there's still so much i want to like hear about and digest about this like mm-hmm. i don't want to you know speak for us like feel like i'm trying to force a close but i, I no, no 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 the, part a part two and i want to i want to like look more like at the um you know the DEI statements. I want to like hear how this unfolds. I want to kind of unpackage mm-hmm. it more, and um, you know, because this is, this is probably one of the, you know, I've heard a lot of these kind of stories, and this is probably one of like the crazier ones I've heard. I do. Which says yeah. a lot. Um, I'm glad I. I can know when Mitch
1: when it. Mitch told <laughs> me this, I was just like, my jaw was like, okay, the people talk about struggle sessions. This is a struggle session, right? This is worse than anything I got. Um, you know. I had, I said, I was on a virtual meeting where my, you know, a couple, my principal, my, you know, my head of school, the assistant head, were, cut, were going at me, but like twelve people, hitting me from all sides, you know, on, on, the crime of, of identifying with a black intellectual. I mean, crazy.
2: I can tell you all what happened in a roundabout way after all this, or we yeah, can do it. Maybe we start. can. Why don't we? Why
1: don't you? I think we should, should give us. Do you want to? Do you want to yeah. pause it or?
0: I think we should save it. I think this is okay. a good cliffhanger, like because I I kind of want to like you know I don't want it to be like oh by the way here's what happened I want to yeah, kinda, yeah. Um, I think we should leave this like you know one of those serials like a cliffhanger okay. like right. next right. on right. Chalkboard here, see what happens to Mitch Hobbs and you know um, okay. and and look you know I want to look do you know find out more about the school and kind of like actually uh, break this down more because I think this is a really important story for people to hear. And I want to make sure that like people have the chance to, like fully hear because I think it, it validates a lot of what you know Paul and I have been saying and other people are concerned about like this is this is a real underdiagnosed problem. It's not just like hysteria um, on Twitter and Facebook about CRT mm-hmm. in the classroom. This there there is like substance behind this, and uh, people have to know because it's it's a selection mechanism for you know the type of people that, that fill schools and and then it's a selection mechanism for for what they teach and what students are brought up with. And, you know, it goes back to like, you know, what you know I've said and you know Paul said like there's you know we're gonna we're gonna reap what we sow and it's probably not gonna be pretty at a certain point. Um Mitch like did you have anything like um, before you know that you wanna kind of kind of, add or that you've, you've thought about? Um.
2: Um, without giving away what happened so we can meet again and talk about the, the aftermath from that meeting. Um, I more or less vowed that from that moment on, I just couldn't put up with or deal with uh, DEI, CRT, any of that anymore. Um and it's it's why I went to Vertex to teach because uh that was a school that was interested in diversity of views, diversity of opinion, which is the real meaningful diversity. Um it's it the and other right, thing Vertex too,
1: partnership we're talking about Vertex Partnership Academies. This is a school yes. that a, a new school started a new high school, right? In in the Bronx. By Ian Rowe, who's uh, yes. um, he just wrote came out with a book called Agency. He's an AEI fellow, I think. Hmm. Um, yeah, he's fantastic, great guy. Uh, yeah, I know him personally. He's, he's but, great. Yeah,
0: I really want to hear like, you know, how this unfolds. And um, you know, th- thanks. First of all, thank you for for sharing this. And um, uh, yeah. you know, you can tell it's it's probably going to be one of those things that's like a sore spot, you know, forever <laughs> for a long time at least, because I know. I have those moments from like, um, which I've written about where I felt like I kind of sold out at a certain point in my teaching career just to keep my job. And, you know, you do so much of that before, um, well, I, I think actually very few people reach that point. They just do it their whole careers or they, where they eventually become true believers. Um, but, but a small percentage of people, it does, they just, they have enough. Um, Paul, did you, did you want to add anything?
1: No, I know that in part, you know, when we get to part two, I I would love to hear your taught your thoughts on art, Mitch, and you know what's yeah. what's happening, other other aspects of of schooling, school issues that come up like discipline, we can touch on that. So I think there's plenty to do for part two. And uh yeah. just really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing. Yeah, thank you.
2: Uh, get oh sure. Get one thing off my chest mm-hmm. real quick though. It's just uh that through all of this when I first started out, I was so excited to teach this subject and had just a love for being in the classroom and around the kids and seeing them create things. And I've always said that it didn't matter who you were, anyone was welcome in my classroom and could be a part of that. And I was just excited for you to be there and be yourself. And I always wanted the students to be able to be themselves and feel safe and be happy and enjoy making work. Um, and that. I just want to say that because at the end of all our conversation, I think the thing that will always haunt me about this is just the thought that even in having this discussion right now, there will be people that watch us or see this video and they'll think, Oh, look at those three stupid white guys. They're so yeah, racist. Stupid guys, all this yeah. Stupid stuff. Oh, did you hear what they just said about Thomas soul or this or that or the other They're They're so judgmental and racist and ignorant. And uh, that'll be the thing that will always kind of bother me about this is that it's just that, I don't want to leap to conclusions like that. I want to let people speak for themselves and get to know each individual as they come along. And uh, I just wish that we could be at a climate in our culture where there more, more of that was present.
0: Yeah, I, good thoughts. Good thoughts. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. I mean, I hope. I think if if those people are watching and they made it this far, like congratulations. That's <laughs> a good first. I <laughs> hope step. you got a
1: lot of good clips so you can use. It, you hope. Know?
0: Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, well, these these will be shown like at our trial in ten years. Right, like, sure. Yeah, this would be a great Man. Twilight Zone episode if, like, you know, towards the end of it, like, some more like screens went in and we're actually like, well, actually, you know, Mitch, we're we're part of a, you know, the original we're from the fifth future, grade team. Mitch. We're yeah, yeah. We're, we brought the fifth grade team on because yeah. we really want to follow up. And uh, and it's like you're like, um, yeah. Or something hey, we'll from work. the future. Yes. Yeah. of like, you know, your future trial. Well, thanks so much guys. We'll, um, we'll come back with a part two mm-hmm. and, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can get out of Mitch, you know, in terms of more like the story and like, maybe, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bug him to see if we can get like, uh, some clips from his struggle such, I don't know if you can even like show them legally, but you know, that would be, uh, that'd be really interesting, I think. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I understand if you don't want to uh, like show any of that for obvious reasons. Um, Thanks, guys, so much for watching. Stay tuned for part two. We uh, look forward to uh, hearing from more from you, Mitch, and appreciate your time. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you, Thanks. guys. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye.